before we go forward, I want us to go back. Let's go back to the morning of September 5th, 1982, when 12-year-old Johnny Gosh got himself up out of bed just before 6 a.m. to do his Sunday morning paper route for the Des Moines Register. He grabbed his red wagon, and accompanied by his mini dachshund, Gretchen, he cut through the backyard up to Ashworth Road. As another paperboy, Mike, collects his papers at the corner of 42nd Street, a light blue Ford Fairmont pulls up to Johnny on Ashworth Road. The man inside opens the passenger side door, swings his legs out, and puts both feet on the ground. He asks Johnny, Hey kid, where's 86th Street? Johnny is immediately uncomfortable, and he heads up to collect his papers. Once Johnny starts walking, the man gets back into the Ford Fairmont, and he drives off. Johnny gets his papers at the corner of 42nd and Ashworth Road, and he continues down 42nd Street. At that time, a man comes out from between two houses and follows Johnny down the sidewalk. Johnny then turns from 42nd Street onto Marcourt Lane. At that point, the Ford Fairmont reappears. We can't know for sure what specifically happened in those next few seconds, but a neighbor boy in the house across the street on Marcourt, who was in his bedroom at the time, recalls hearing a loud muffler at that moment. And as he looked out the window, he saw a blue or white Ford Fairmont blow through the stop sign and take off down 42nd Street, leaving Johnny's wagon and his mini dachshund Gretchen there on the sidewalk. We know that these are the events that happened in the early morning hours of the day Johnny disappeared forever. But what were the series of events that led up to this morning? The fact that the Ford Fairmont circled the block and did not immediately leave the area after approaching Johnny the first time? That man that came out from between two houses and knew exactly what child to follow? That's organized. So maybe if we can figure out who organized the abduction and why, then we can figure out what happened from that point on. So that's why today we have a new perspective from someone who was a paperboy for the Des Moines Register at the same time Johnny was on the opposite side of town who, by the way, was approached by a man in a Ford Fairmont in March of 1982, six months before Johnny would be abducted. Online, he goes by the name Yellowbag. And in my first segment today, I will share with you his whole account of the months leading up to when Johnny Gosh disappeared, as well as the aftermath. This is episode 13 of Faded Out. I'm Sarah Dimio. thing clear right off the bat. Yellowbag has nothing to hide. He told me this himself when he emailed me after I requested to talk to him after reading through his whole story. The reason he uses the name Yellowbag online is because he does still live and work in the Des Moines area, and if anyone should Google his real name, he wants them to only be linked to his professional work profiles, not to the Johnny Gosh case or the inevitable conspiracy theory sites linked to Johnny's case. So this is not a means to be cryptic, it's just practical. 
Yellowbag first began to share his story in September of 2016 on a website called Iowa Cold Cases, and I was made aware of the whole account he was sharing by another listener. And this is a pretty incredible find, I have to say, because I'm quite certain that this is an angle of the story that vast majority of people have never heard of, and quite frankly, probably never even really thought about. So, that being said, here's Yellowbag's personal account. Yellowbag was a newspaper carrier at the same time that Johnny was kidnapped. Before Johnny went missing, around March 1982, a young, dark-haired man, looked to be about 25, tried to get Yellowbag into his car. The man was driving a white Ford Fairmont, and he was wearing an orange jacket. He says it looked like a paramedic's jacket. So Yellowbag called the West Des Moines police back then, but no one ever came to speak to him. So, about a year later, he saw the same man who approached him in the car with Wilbur Milhouse, who worked for the Des Moines Register, and, as Yellowbag would find out later, he was also a pedophile. Wilbur Milhouse was a manager in West Des Moines, but he transferred to the east side, where Yellowbag worked, shortly before Johnny went missing. On a couple of occasions, Yellowbag recalls Milhouse saying things along the lines of, nothing would have happened to Johnny if he would have just kept his mouth shut. So this guy Milhouse practically would brag that he and his buddies were involved in Johnny's disappearance. And as a side note, within these comments on the Iowa Cold Cases website, a lot of other users on there at this point have begun to ask Yellowbag why he never came forward with this story before. And one thing he mentions is that back then, in the 80s, he sort of got the impression that no one really wanted to solve this case. I guess kind of like it was evolving into unsolved mystery proportions, even at that time. And remember, he is a kid at the time, right around Johnny's age. So he was understandably naive and probably just wanted to keep to himself. He goes into greater detail with the whole chain of events. So getting back to March 1982... It was cold, it was still wintertime, and we're in Des Moines, Iowa. The Ford Fairmont pulls up to Yellowbag to ask him for directions. The man then suggests to Yellowbag to get into the car since it's cold and it's snowing. So he feels immediately uncomfortable as the man kept insisting that he get into the car. So he finally asks him, where do you want directions to? So he tells him the street that he's supposedly looking for, and as Yellowbag starts to give directions, the man cuts him off and says, I don't really need directions. I just want to mess around with you. And back then, the term mess around very commonly means have sex. So Yellowbag says no, and he runs away. He even looked to see if he could get the license plate number, but it was completely covered with snow. That September, when he heard that Johnny Gosh was kidnapped and the police were looking for a man in a Ford Fairmont, he immediately suspected it was the same person. So he called the West Des Moines police and they told him that an officer would come to his house to speak to him. But no one ever showed up. So, Wilbur Milhouse became Yellowbag's new district manager for the Des Moines Register. He transferred from the west side over to the east side. And Milhouse admitted that he knew Johnny and he would often talk about him. And at the time, Yellowback thought that Milhouse was cool because he would actually buy beer for the paper boys and sometimes would give them money. So one day, the register had a party for its carriers at a place called Skate East. And it was there that Yellowbag saw Milhouse hanging out with the guy who tried to get him into his car. And shortly after Johnny went missing, Milhouse began to say things that convinced Yellowbag he knew who took Johnny and why. 
It would be in 1983 when Yellowbag discovered that Milhouse was a pedophile. Milhouse would call him at home daily to try to get him to come over to his house. He told him that he had wealthy friends who would give him $100 just to drop his pants and let them look. And then one day, Milhouse dropped Yellowbag off at his house after buying him a beer at a gas station. There were three teenage boys across the street who knew Milhouse, so he chatted them up a bit and then he drove off. After he was gone, the boys came over and warned Yellowbag about Milhouse. The boys knew him because they were from West Des Moines and they had delivered papers there. And maybe not in these exact words, they probably said that he was weird or pervert or whatever. But essentially, they said that Milhouse was a pedophile. Yellowbag says that twice, he saw Milhouse become visibly angry when talking about Johnny. On both of those occasions, he said Johnny was kidnapped because he, quote, couldn't keep his mouth shut. And it is for that reason that Yellowbag has always been convinced that Wilbur Milhouse always knew exactly who took Johnny and why. So in my next segment, we're going to talk more about my exchange emailing back and forth with Yellowbag and how he explained these details to me. We'll also talk a bit more about Wilbur Milhouse. Who exactly was he? And why was he making statements suggesting that he knew what happened to Johnny? Is it possible that there was a more local pedophile ring? Or is this just all part of the much bigger picture? That's up next. So if you were to go to the Iowa Cold Cases website and scroll down to the comments section under the Johnny Gosh case, you would see Yellowbag's whole story. You would also see a couple comments from me asking Yellowbag to please contact me so we could talk more about these details that he's giving out. So a few days later, I did receive an email from him. He had wanted to listen to some of this podcast first before he reached out. He admitted he didn't have much else to add after attempting to reach out to the West Des Moines police at the time and them not being all too interested in talking to a kid who didn't even personally know Johnny. He eventually buried the story in the back of his mind over the years. He does seem to think that there was a pedophile ring much more local who took Johnny. And he suggested to me to not immediately link the ring that operated out of the Franklin Credit Union to Johnny's disappearance. That's fair. We know that Paul Benassi is the one main thread between Johnny's case and the Franklin scandal, but that does not necessarily mean that Johnny was caught up in it too. And when you take into account the other factors, that makes sense, such as the house in Sioux City where he was allegedly kept for the first two weeks, and then the abandoned house in Colorado with the cavity dug underneath. 
Does a credit union in Omaha, Nebraska fit into the mix? Well, Yellowbag seems to think that Noreen Gosh was duped by her private investigators. And I've talked about this before, private investigators, law enforcement, who try to create their own narrative. I've talked about my mixed feelings on Ted Gunderson. So what Yellowbag goes on to tell me is that what he does know is that there was a pedophile ring that existed within the Des Moines Register at the time that he was a paperboy in the early 80s. Wilbur Milhouse was Yellowbag's circulation manager at the time, and he told him why Johnny was kidnapped right after it happened. In one of his comments on the Iowa Cold Cases site, he mentions that the November 18, 1986 Des Moines Register reported that Wilbur Milhouse was arrested for sexual abuse and given a $72,000 bond. When the police searched Milhouse's home, they found photos and addresses of 2,200 boys. And Yellowbag is certain that his name was probably in there somewhere, considering, as I just mentioned, Milhouse had started calling him every day, offering him money to drop his pants for he and his wealthy friends. He also goes on to say that he believes Milhouse worked for the Des Moines Register up until 1983, which is the same year Yellowbag stopped delivering papers. He points out Johnny was kidnapped in 1982, Eugene Martin in 1984, and Mark Allen in 1986. After Wilbur Milhouse was arrested in the fall of 1986 for sexual abuse, these kidnappings stopped. Again, I want to remind you, I do not claim it as fact that these things are linked, but it does seem like a coincidence worth looking into. In the next of his emails to me, he talks about getting a ride home one day from Millhouse in the summer of 1983. Yellowbag was in the back seat, and he remembers there was a guy he didn't know in the passenger seat. He didn't know his name, he was kind of creepy and beady-eyed, and Yellowbag only refers to him as slimy doofus guy. He remembered a little bit about their conversation. Milhouse and this other guy were talking about how Johnny deserved to be kidnapped because he was telling on people. And that's, as Milhouse puts it, quote, the worst thing a person could do. It was mostly Milhouse doing all the talking. This other guy was just kind of nodding and drinking a can of soda, occasionally looking back to peer at Yellowbag. As I've talked about before, Des Moines, Iowa in the early 80s was a very wholesome, all-American type of town. And as Yellowbag put it, there was a very Mayberry type of feel. So he believes that this pedophile ring existed within the Des Moines Register at the time, and that the Register did whatever they could to cover it up sort of alluding to the idea that maybe Johnny was seeing firsthand some of this behavior by Milhouse and had started telling other people about it, whether that means other paperboys or other managers at the register. And that's when the register transferred Milhouse to the other side of town as sort of a way to just keep it quiet and hopefully let it blow over on its own. And then it would be shortly after that that Johnny would disappear. So ultimately... Yellowbag's assumption has always been that it was local guys who were responsible for Johnny's kidnapping and probably killed him shortly thereafter. Because yes, that would be the most effective way to shut somebody up.
The last known location for Wilbur Millhouse was Overland Park, Kansas. I asked Yellowbag if he knew whether Millhouse was still alive or not. He told me Millhouse died in 2015, and he had found a picture of his headstone on the internet. He's buried at Leavenworth National Cemetery in Kansas. So, unfortunately, we can't ask him about any of this. But doesn't it make sense that someone at the Des Moines Register at the time would have to be involved somehow? Because go back to that Sunday morning for a second. On the morning Johnny was kidnapped, how else would the man driving the Ford Fairmont, Emilio, and the second guy who came out between two houses have known exactly which streets Johnny would be walking down? They would have to know his route. I also want to remind you of a clip I played for you from America's MIA children. Here's Johnny's dad, John Sr., talking about a woman who was seen taking pictures of Johnny before he disappeared and a manila envelope spotted in the front seat of the Ford Fairmont. It was sometime in August of the year that Johnny was kidnapped uh, when uh, a neighbor lady saw this car sitting there with California plates on it, taking pictures of many different things, but uh, Johnny was on his paper route at the same time, and uh, apparently she was shooting pictures, or, you know, she was pointing the, the camera at him, whether she took the picture or not, we presume she was, and the lady called the police department about it. They never, ever checked it out, then they lost the license plate number. The lady had wrote it down after this ordeal, uh, she didn't have the license plate number anymore either. And uh, then roughly a month later, on September 5th, 1982, that's when Johnny uh, was kidnapped on his paper route. And uh, the people that were there that morning at the corner said that the only thing they saw in this guy's car was a brown manila envelope laying on the front seat. Whether it was a picture, whether it was a work order to kidnapping or whatever it was, uh, we presume it was probably both. So if there was a manila envelope seen in the front of the Ford Fairmont that morning, could it have been pictures of Johnny? Was it a work order? And there's something else that I want to touch on too. Who exactly are these people who are hired to scope out and take pictures of these children? I question, are they fully aware of what's happening? Do they know that they're aiding in the future abduction of that child? Or are they just given one task and then asked no questions about it? Like, just tell me which kid I'm supposed to photograph. Don't tell me what it's for. Don't tell me what you're planning to do with the pictures. I would like to know who else was in contact with Wilbur Milhouse during his time with the Des Moines Register. Yellowbag said something else chilling to me in one of his emails. He said that one time he was with his mom and she mentioned something about Johnny, how awful it was that he was missing. They were both in front of Milhouse at the time and Milhouse flat out responded, yeah, but the kid shouldn't have been telling on people. As Yellowbag puts it, his mother was stunned speechless upon hearing that. He told me that he recently asked his mother if she remembers that, and she says yes, she remembers it very clearly. So Milhouse clearly implicated himself. I want to explore this story further because this 100% to me seems like the right place to start. Yellowbag even mentioned to me in one of his emails, sometimes the answers are in the most simple explanations. Let's not forget, with all the conspiracy theories that have come out over the past 36 years, there was a boy named Johnny Gosh. He did get abducted on the morning of September 5th, 1982, on the corner of 42nd and Marcourt in West Des Moines, Iowa. There was a boy named Eugene Martin, who was abducted in 1984. And there was a boy named Mark Allen, who was abducted in 1986, both also from West Des Moines. 
So in my next episode, we're going to see if we can link just how the man driving the Ford Fairmont that September morning and the man who came out from between two houses knew what time to find Johnny and which streets to find him on. I cannot tell you how much I appreciate all this interest I'm seeing, all the information that listeners are sending to me, but I want you to remember, I'm just a storyteller. I would love to see somebody in law enforcement investigate these tips. I think if we can keep these tips coming in, there may be someone who can do a proper investigation. Please feel free to get in touch with me. I read every comment and every email that is sent my way. I will get back to you as soon as I can. You can email me at fadedoutpodcast at gmail.com. You can tweet me at Sarah E. Dimio. Faded Out is on Facebook at facebook.com slash fadedoutpodcast. We do also have a closed group on Facebook called Followers of Faded Out, which has been seeing a lot of growing activity lately, so please also feel free to request to join. As always, Faded Out is recorded at the Connecticut School of Broadcasting in Farmington, Connecticut. Thank you for joining me for episode 13. I'm Sarah Dimio. See you next time.